Well, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Palm Sunday here at Rolling Hills. I'm so excited about today and all God's going to teach us is our time of worship and coming into his presence. And wow, God is moving as we enter into Holy Week and preparing our hearts for next Sunday and the resurrection. Ah, it's just an exciting time, exciting time. You know, we live in a world that's obsessed with celebrities, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? There's celebrities everywhere, and it's all about celebrities. And you read about them, you see them on TV, Twitter, Facebook, you know, and whether it's Lady Gaga or Miley Cyrus, or One Direction or One Republic or whether it's Princess Kate or, you know, the Kardashians or whether it's LeBron or is it Peyton Manning. You know, it's like everything revolves in our culture, around our society, around celebrities. And I was checking out the grocery store the other day and, and here they are, just all kind of staring you at the face whenever you kind of check out and you know, this is Kim and Kanye. I don't know if you know that they're getting married. It's newsflash maybe for you guys. But uh, there's a big wedding disaster right now. So you can read about it right here. It's happening. Uh, you know, here's Miley right here. Her pal tells all. So I'm sure that's going to be really accurate, you know, right? But that's from her pal. It's going to tell us all about Miley and her life. And people buy this and read this. Gwyneth and Chris broke up this week. I hate to hear that. I don't know what happened to them. But people does, and I'm sure people will tell us the exact story and what really happened and what really went down. It's like our society's just obsessed, right? I mean, it's like we can't get enough and we're going to read more and more because somehow, some way, we think we're going to live vicariously through these people. And as a society, as a culture, and it's not anything they've done, it's not their fault, it's just the way our society is. But every generation has had that. Right? Every generation has some kind of celebrity, and maybe if we would have grown up years ago, it would have been the Beatles, and you know, we would have been screaming for the Beatles and going crazy, or Elvis, you know, it might have been Elvis, that was the big deal, you know, or U2, right? It's, every generation has had some kind of celebrity. It's, I guess there's just a need in all of us. We want somebody bigger than us. We want somebody that we can celebrate. But, but here's the deal about celebrities, Right? And we live in Music City, USA, and so we kind of have celebrity sightings, and people will email us and say, hey, what celebrities have you seen? You know, but it, it, we kind of got this vernacular down. We know the Nashville code. You know, you don't talk to them. You just kind of go on and do your thing. You're like, hello, Nicole Kidman, good to see you. And you just kind of you know, move on, you know, but we kind of know that life. But here's the thing about celebrities. They, they, number one is this. They elicit intense emotion, right? You either love them or you hate them, you know? Taylor Swift's song, Mean. Why do you have to be so mean? You know, right? I mean, people, you love them or you hate them. It just kind of comes with the territory. The second thing about celebrities is they're here today and gone tomorrow. There's always a next generation. I was at a nine-year-old birthday party yesterday, and, and this little kid was opening up a f packet of football cards. And he looks at me and he says, hey, have you ever heard of this guy, Emmett Smith? I'm like, seriously, dude? You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, is he that old yet? I mean, like, you don't even know you're nine. No, come on. It's, uh, you know, but it's like, who's the next thing, right? We all get into that. Okay, they've had their time, their 20 minutes of fame. Now we're moving on. Who's the next big celeb out there that we can follow? You know, who is that? And the other thing about celebrities is, right, they, they, they want to keep this image, and they will have to keep this image, and so that's why you have bodyguards, you can't get too close. You got publicists who are going to put out what stories, so we don't know what's really true and what's not true or what really happened. You know, because they got to keep this image. We got to be flawless. And so you got the red carpet, you got the robes, you can only get so far, you can only get so close. But then we discover after a while, man, they're just regular people, right? They're just regular people. They're just people who put their pants on the same way we do. They just go through life the same way they do. They go to the grocery store like everybody else. And at some point, we kind of grow up past that celebrity stage. We're like, hey, they're just regular people. But the whole celebrity thing, it's not a new deal, is it? 
You can go back and watch Gladiator, you know, or watch The Hunger Games. I mean, there's always been this insatiable desire in every generation for somebody bigger than us. We need a hero. We need somebody we can look up to. We need somebody that when our life it seems like it's down and it's hard, there's somebody else maybe who's got a better life, they got more money, they got more success. Somehow we can live there. Why? Because we long for that. The deal is in every person that was ever created, there is a God-shaped hole. A God-shaped hole. In you, in me, every person. And we try to fill that God-shaped hole with money, with power, success, or with people. Somebody's going to be the one I can worship. Somebody's going to be in there in my life. We want that. When I was growing up, it was a guy named Michael Jordan, right? Maybe you, you know, knew that Michael Jordan, he was a basketball player, by the way, sorry, LeBron and Kobe, but probably the greatest basketball player of all time. And he was amazing. And when I was a kid, I wanted to be like Michael Jordan. You know, I played basketball, so I would try to emulate his shot. I would try to emulate his dunks, but I could barely slap the net, you know, so it made it a little difficult. Uh, but I would watch Michael Jordan. I mean, he could take off from the free throw line and dunk the ball. It was incredible. I had his little logo on my tennis shoes, you know, his little logo on my shirt. You know, here he is, Air Jordan. I was there uh, when I... When, the Bulls won their sixth NBA championship. I was in Chicago. And, and I'll never forget how when the game was over, everybody rushed out into the streets. And there were fireworks going off. They were lighting cars on fire. That was a little awkward, you know. But, I mean, it was crazy. And it, it was at that moment I kind of woke up and realized that here I am. I'm like an adult now. And I'm looking around. I'm going, wait a minute. This has gone a little too far, you know. This has become worship. And there is something there that has stepped over the line. It wasn't anything Michael's fault. He's just dunking a basketball, right? But at some point in people's lives, we wanted so much more. And we try to have people come in and fill that void in our hearts and in our lives. Well, welcome to Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. You see, Jesus rides into Jerusalem as a celebrity. We'll see that today. People are cheering. They're going crazy. They're going nuts. But next Sunday, he arises as a savior. Because he is so much more. And there is a God who sent his son who fits perfectly into your heart and your life. He's the one who came, who transcends time, who transcends generations, who transcends flaws and hurt and pain. He is the one who comes and gives our life meaning and gives our life hope because we all need a Savior. And a Savior has come. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I want you to see what happened on that first Palm Sunday. And back, it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke today. We're going to see that in Luke chapter 19. In fact, all four Gospels record what's known as the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry. I mean, if you don't have a Bible with you, maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online. Just pull it up with us as we unpack the Word of God today. I'm so excited about what God's teaching us and the way He's growing us in His Word and His truth. And let's see what happened, or we'll put the words on the screen. You can follow along with what God's Word has to say. It says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now let me set the context for you. It says, after he said this, and so here's the context. Jesus has been doing ministry for three years. He has rock star status at this time. People are coming from all over to hear Jesus teach, because this guy was a carpenter turned miracle worker, and now people are saying, Messiah. I mean, this is a huge deal. We know from the Gospel of John that he has just raised Lazarus from the dead. 
There was a guy who was literally dead. I mean, he was in the grave for four days. And Jesus said, you know, come out, Lazarus. A dead man's walking. So you can imagine the buzz right now about Jesus. People are wanting to be around Jesus. And not only that, now he's going to Jerusalem. It is the Passover time. There are three major feasts a year where Jews from all over the world would come to worship at the temple. And the Passover was the biggest of them all. The city would swell, many people estimate, to around 2.5 million people. So about five times its normal size. I mean, people camping out on the Mount of Olives, people sleeping, all the inns are full. Everybody's there, and Jesus is coming to town. And people are fired up. I mean, this is bigger than any concert you've ever been to, right? And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Now, I mean, Jesus is so big right now. I mean, he just says, tell him the Lord needs it. And they're like, okay. You know, I mean, it's like LeBron walking into a restaurant, in a table. Okay, you're LeBron, right? I mean, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They're like, okay, here we go. You take it to Jesus. They did, and they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Now, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, okay? I mean, none of this was like, hey, what about riding a colt? I mean, this was, this was in Jesus' mind. He was preparing the way of the Lord, right? He was walking into Jerusalem. Now, why was it significant that he would ride on the back of a donkey? Well, if you go back into the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah, Zechariah 9.9, it was a messianic prophecy written hundreds of years before. And it says in Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So written hundreds of years before was this messianic prophecy saying that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. This is the only time that we have recorded that Jesus ever wrote anything. Every other time he's walking, he's walking, he's walking. But Jesus gets on the back of this donkey and people begin to lay their cloaks on the road. We know from the Gospel of John they began waving palm branches, right? And so, I mean, you can imagine, it's electric, Here's Jesus. He's coming in to the city. It says, When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I, I mean, I, I can't even communicate how the buzz was. It was like if you were there, if I was there, we would have been at this. We would have shown up. Our kids would have been on our shoulders, right? I mean, we would be pressed up against just to see Jesus coming into the city. The streets are lined with people. Now, the Romans at this time occupied Palestine. And the Roman Empire, you know, it pretty much dominated the world at this time. And the Romans were smart. They had learned from the Greeks. When the Greeks conquered Palestine and they conquered Jerusalem, the Greeks went in and they tried to Hellenize everybody. And that didn't go over real well with the Jews, right? When you try to slaughter a pig and put it on the altar, it doesn't go well. And so the Jews revolted against them. Well, the Romans learned about that. And so when the Romans came in, they said, hey, you can continue to worship. 
you can worship your God, but you've got to pay taxes to us. You know, and so there were, the Romans have in the city, they're holding people back because they believe a revolt is about to break out. And here's Jesus coming in on the back of a donkey and the disciples are singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And I mean, there's just this groundswell of emotion. People are fired up. Here comes Jesus. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the ones who, you know, they thought they had it all figured out. You go back to the Old Testament, they knew, you know, and, and they were the ones that were saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. Jesus, we know the Messiah, we believe, is going to come in and overthrow the Romans. And he's going to establish the Jews back to their place of prominence. Whoa, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> I tell you, Jesus said, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Isn't that awesome? He said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Why? Because Jesus will be worshipped. Jesus will be praised. Jesus is God's son. I love being out in nature. Anybody else like love nature, love being out there? Yeah, I mean, you just, you feel close to God, don't you? I mean, you're sitting at the base of a mountain, you're just looking up, and you're like, man, how great is our God, you know? Or you're by a river, and you're just seeing that. You see the, you see the trees, like, swaying in the wind, and, or you hear the birds singing, and you're, you're just going, man, everything in creation worships God. And there's a connection there in your soul and your spirit. You get away from all the trappings of this world, and you're out there, and Jesus says, hey, even the stones will cry out. Because I will be worshipped. I'm the Savior. I'm the Redeemer. I'm the hope of all mankind. And then this is where it kind of changes right here. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. That's interesting, right? You don't see a lot of celebrities weeping, you know. I mean, most of them are going to the stage. And most of them are saying, hey, come to the concert. You know, pay your money. Yeah, but, but Jesus comes in and he has compassion. It tells us... In the other gospels that he looked at the people and he, and he had compassion on them. Like they were sheep without a shepherd. That they were harassed and, and his heart just broke. You can imagine him stopping and saying, whoa, 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 let me just pray. Let me just pray. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. See, his heart went out because he knew that they were chanting for him right then and they were celebrating right then, but he knew in just a few days he'd be going to the cross. He knew in just a few days that same crowd that was chanting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord would be the same crowd that would chant, crucify, crucify, crucify. Because we want a hero. We want somebody who's going to meet our demands. We want somebody who's going to entertain us. We want somebody who's going to please us. And Jesus is going, if you had only known what would bring you peace, if you would only accept what God is doing, God has a bigger plan than you can even see or even imagine. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And what was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying to the people, hey, listen, you want a political savior who's going to overthrow the Romans. I'm doing something greater. I'm doing something eternal. I'm changing people's hearts. I'm redeeming mankind for eternity. And sure enough, just as Jesus said, this is exactly what happened in 40 years from this time. 
The Romans came in because the Jews revolted against the Romans and they came in and just destroyed the temple. 70 AD, not one stone left on another. In the second temple period, the temple was destroyed because they rebelled. They wanted somebody else. Jesus said, I am the one. And then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So instead of going to a stage, instead of going to a place, Jesus goes over to the temple. And he goes into the temple. And he begins to turn over the tables. And he's going, guys, you're missing it. You see what had happened is the religious leaders there, they, they had this place and they had turned it into what he said, a den of robbers. They weren't con- helping people connect to God. Back then, if you came to worship, you would come and you would bring a sacrifice, right? So you would bring a lamb or a goat with you to come to sacrifice for your sins. Now, praise be to God that Jesus is the unblemished lamb who died for our sins. So we don't have to do that today. I mean, that's a great deal. But you would come into worship, and what would happen a lot of times is there would be a religious leader out there who would meet you, and they would look over your lamb or look over your goat, and they would say, ah, you got a little blemish on your lamb right here. That one's not going to work. You need an unblemished lamb. And we just happen to have a sale going on. Unbelievable. Only 1995, right? There's a lamb over here, unblemished lamb. You can come over here. You can buy that unblemished lamb. You can say, oh, but you have to have temple money. Oh, and there's an exchange rate. Oh, and then there's a commission. And Jesus is going, no! God is for all. Stop putting up barriers. Jesus is our great high priest, the one who connects man to God. And he comes in and he says, this is what my kingdom is about. I came in on the back of a donkey, not on a stallion to bring rebellion, not on a stallion to bring fighting and, and discord. I came in on the back of a donkey to bring peace. And peace with God. It says, every day he was teaching in the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the teachers among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his every word. So you can imagine intense emotion. You could feel it, right? The religious leaders were trying to kill him. People were cheering him. Man. So who is Jesus to you? Is he a celebrity? Or is he your savior? Because we still have that same problem today. People still look at Jesus as the celebrity and want to cheer him. And then they want to turn away when things get hard or difficult. And they want to find somebody else. They want to find somebody else who will meet that need in their soul and their spirit. Is Jesus a celebrity or is he your savior? What about you? What about me? The other day I was down at our neighborhood clubhouse and and I started talking to this guy and, and his kids go to my kids' school and so we were having this conversation and, and he said, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, oh yeah, that's cool. And I said, yeah. I said, well, what about you? Do you go to church anywhere? And he goes, no, I don't go to church. I said, okay. I said, that's cool. I said, well, why don't you go to church? He said, well, I'm spiritual. Okay. I said, well, what do you mean by you're spiritual? He goes, well, you know, I just believe that all you have to do is be good. And if you're good, then you can have a relationship with God. You know, I mean, I just think that's all it is, is just being good. And I said, okay, well, what do you believe about Jesus? He said, man, I, I really am impressed with Jesus. He said, I think Jesus was a great teacher. He said, the things I've read about Jesus, I mean, it's unbelievable. He said, man, he was a great prophet. He said, I'm really impressed by the things I've read about Jesus. And I said, hey, he was all that. I said, but I'll tell you, he is even more. He goes, what do you mean? 
And I said, well, how good do you think you have to be to get to God? He goes, well, I think you just have to be good. And I go, well, how good? I mean, like, you know, I mean, you have to be super good? I mean, because, see, I told him, I said, Mother Teresa never thought she was good enough. Billy Graham doesn't think he's good enough. So what about you? How good do you have to be? And he goes, well, I don't know. And I said, because I'm not good enough. I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've messed up, you know. I said, but here's the good news about Jesus. Is, is Jesus came and he lived 33 sinless years. He, he was flawless. There was no sin in him. And he died on a cross for your sins and for my sins. He paid the price because the Bible says the wages of sin is death and that there has to be a price that's paid. And then when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, as God draws you to himself, when God looks at you, he doesn't see all your mistakes. He doesn't see all your failures. You know what he sees? He sees the righteousness of Christ. I said, that's how I believe that you're good enough is because of what Christ has done for you. Not about what we do. It's about what he's done. He goes, wow, that's interesting. And so for the next 30 minutes, we talked about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and why that's important. To not just say, hey, he was great, he was wonderful, a great teacher. No, what is Christ to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he a celebrity? Or is he your savior? Here's the things I want you to see. Number one, I want you to see this, is Jesus Christ is a savior for all. You know, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they tried to hush the crowd. They were trying to say, hey, Jesus, wait a minute. You're not doing this right. You need to do it the way we want you to do it. You're the Messiah. You come in here. You overthrow the Romans. We've got an agenda for you. And Jesus was going, no, 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 listen. I'm not just here to entertain you. I'm not just here to do your bidding. I am the sovereign God, the Lord over all creation. A lot of times we feel like we're left out, right? Maybe I don't know enough of the religious lingo. Maybe I don't have the front row seats. Maybe I've made too many mistakes in my life. Does God really care? I want to tell you, he does. Oh, he does. More than you even care about yourself, he cares about you. And he loves you. And Jesus came for you to have a relationship with you. Sometimes we try to do that same thing with Jesus, though, don't we? Well, well, God, I want you to do my way. I want you to do my things. I, we kind of treat God like a giant vending machine. If I put the right combination in, then God, you've got to perform for me. You've got to entertain me. And guys, I go, whoa, 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 whoa. I sent my son because I love you, and I know what's best for you, and I have an awesome plan for you. You trust me. But I want to be your redeemer. I want to be your savior. I love you. I love you. You see, back then when you would go to the temple, you could really only get so close to God, right? I mean, if you were a Gentile, and most of us are Gentiles here, right? You could go to the court of Gentiles, but that's as far as you could go because God was up here in the Holy of Holies, and we could only come in to be in the Gentile, the court of the Gentiles. Now, if you were a Jewish woman, you could get a little bit closer. You, you could go into the court of the women right here. So you got past the Gentiles, but you're still pretty far from God because God's over there, right? Now, if you were a Jewish man, you could come in here to the court of men, so you got past the women, but, but you're still, he's in the Holy of Holies, you're still here. If you were a priest, you could go to the holy place, right? And so you're a little bit closer, but there was a giant veil that separated the Holy of Holies that's from the high place, the holy place, from the court of the men, the court of the women, the court of the Gentiles. So this giant veil stood. 
And in the Holy of Holies is where they felt like the presence of God dwelled. And only one time a year could the high priest go into the Holy of Holies to offer a sacrifice for the sin of atonement of the people. And when they would go in, they would tie a rope around their ankle because if they did it wrong and they were killed in the middle of offering the sacrifice, you couldn't go in and get them, so you would have to pull them out. Right? Because God is holy and God lived over here. This giant veil separated the people from God. And this veil was so thick that no light could even get into the Holy of Holies. It was so tall you couldn't even touch the top of it. Something significant happened this Holy Week. When Jesus died on that cross, and he breathed his last, he said, It is finished. The scriptures tell us that the temple veil was torn in two from top to bottom. What was God doing? God was saying, I'm making a way. My son is paying the price, and I'm making a way for all people, for the Gentiles, for the women, for the men, for everybody to have a relationship with me through my son. Is he your savior? As God draws you to himself, have you said, yes, God, I want you in my heart and in my life. I don't want to just stand and cheer for a moment. God, I want to follow for a lifetime. Because Jesus is a savior for all. The second thing we see is this, is that Jesus, Jesus is a savior who focuses on our heart. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem, what does he do? He weeps. He weeps. Not many celebrities weep, right? But, but Jesus weeps. There's two times in Scripture where Jesus weeps. The first is at a funeral when Lazarus, his friend, dies. And Jesus is going to that funeral, and Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. He's going to heal Lazarus. He's going to restore Lazarus. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he shows up, and he weeps. Why? Because he sees Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, and he sees their brokenness, their hurt, and their pain, and he weeps for them. Aren't you thankful that we have a Savior who weeps? Aren't you thankful that when we go through a hard time and a difficult time, that we have a God who steps into the brokenness with us? And maybe you're here today, and and man, it's been tough. It's just been hard. Maybe you're here today, and man, life is just spinning out of control, and you just say, God, where are you? And God says, I'm right here with you. I'm weeping with you. I'm putting my arm around you. I'm holding you. Listen, I want to be enough for you. We're going to come through this. I believe in you. We have a God of compassion. We have a Savior who loves us. The second thing he says is, right, if you would know what brings you peace. Don't we want peace in our lives? Don't we want peace? Now, we try to find peace in so many ways. We try to find peace through all of our circumstances. If I could have more money, if I could have a better job, if I could have more success, then, then somehow I'll have peace. And he's going, no, 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 no. Peace comes in here. You can't control the circumstance, but peace comes in here. And we have a Savior who focuses on your heart. Do you need peace today? Do you need peace with your job? Do you need peace in your marriage? Do you need peace financially? So many people, man, this debt is just like this weight and it's around your neck and just like, oh. But peace doesn't come when we get everything right on the outside because there's always something else. There's something else. There's something else. We never find peace. Peace only comes when we get it on the inside. 
We respond to a God who's drawing us to himself. And God gives us his peace. I was reading this week on USA Today, there was a celeb in Hollywood who passed away. and He'd been in the movie industry for 80 years. 80 years. He was 93. He was still doing movies. But the more I read about it, I just thought, oh, my heart broke for him. Here's a guy who's made millions and millions and millions of dollars. When he died, he, he'd been married eight different times. The woman he was married to, he was estranged from. His children, his grandchildren, his stepchildren, not many people even had a relationship with him. And when he died, he only had $18,000 to his name. He couldn't even afford a burial plot in Hollywood Cemetery where he wanted to be buried. And I just thought, man, oh God, that we wouldn't chase the things of this world and think that they're going to somehow bring us peace. A God in our lives that we would know and understand that you are a God who longs to transform us from the inside out. And then we see this. We see a Savior who calls us to commit our lives. You see, celebrities, they don't, they don't really want anything from us. They just want the two ninety nine to buy their magazine or to buy, you know, whatever it is, their CD. But, but there's a Savior who says, hey, don't just cheer for me on Sunday. I'm also calling you to walk with me even to the cross and beyond. I'm not just here that when things are great, man, we're excited. I'm here to come and to remove the stanchions, to remove the robes, and allow you to walk onto the red carpet, and allow you to follow me to the cross and beyond, to the resurrection and beyond, and the disciples who were there, the disciples who were walking with Jesus on the triumphal entry, and they were seeing all this excitement, this energy, were the same disciples that wondered, hey, where did the crowds go? Where did everybody go? And they ran from the cross. But they were also the same disciples that heard these words. He is risen. There is life. There is more. God is doing a greater work. And they were the same disciples that on the other side of the cross and on the other side of the resurrection were a part of a movement of God that God has used to change the world. And God calls you and me to follow him. In the good times and the hard times, he just says, you hold on to me, you trust me, because I will do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or ever imagine. When I was growing up, there was a football player named Jim Kelly. And Jim Kelly played at the University of Miami. And then he went on to play for the Buffalo Bills. He took the Buffalo Bills to four straight Super Bowls. He lost all four Super Bowls. And it just kind of broke his heart. But Jim Kelly, I was reading an interview with him this week, and, and he said, you know, I haven't even watched those game films. I can't even bear to watch them. But he said, all my life I was living for me. All my life it was about success. And he said, then I got into the Hall of Fame, and it was all about accolades. It was all about people cheering for me and seeing me and how much money I made. He said, but just a couple of years ago, on April 23rd, I realized there was something more. It was on that day that I moved from being a fan of Jesus sitting in the stands to being a follower of Jesus in my heart and my life. He said, I watched my wife. My wife's a Christian and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed for me. He said, and people saw in my life that there was a void. And He said, I even remember somebody gave me a prayer book. And I opened that prayer book and, and what it said in there is I was reading different quotes and one of the quotes was this, if you want to be in your child's life tomorrow, you've got to be in their life today. And he said, I thought about that, and 
What kind of man am I? What kind of father am I? What kind of husband am I? What is my life really about? And so on that April 23rd, just a few years ago, I said yes to Jesus. He said, my life's never been the same. He said, there's a joy and a peace that I've never known. Now, if you know anything about Jim Kelly, I mean, it hasn't been easy since football, right? I mean, the guy was in a plane crash. The guy has had multiple surgeries. The guy has cancer that he's battling. The guy had an eight-year-old son, Hunter, who passed away from a rare disease. But Jim Kelly wakes up every day and his brother said he's got a smile on his face and it looks like he just won the publisher's clearinghouse. Every day it just seems like there's life and there's a joy. He goes, I don't know where it comes from. And Jim said it comes from being a follower of Jesus. And I just thought, wow. Wow. You see, Jesus isn't just an event that you show up for and you cheer for and then you turn around and go live however you want to live and whatever you want to do. Jesus is a calling, a person, a savior who calls you and draws you and says, come, follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me and go on this journey with me and watch me redeem your life. Watch me redeem relationships. Watch me restore you. Watch me make things new in your life. But you live in relationship with me. Praise be to God for that kind of Savior. And praise be to God for a Savior for you and for me. That even in our mess, even in our flaws, even in our weakness, that God comes to us. And that's what Holy Week is all about. Is a God who loves you so much. He said, I don't want to spend eternity without you. And I'm sending my son who will pay the price so that you could have life eternal.